prepare to consider uh, this theme of Jesus the light. Uh, First of all, Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49. And we want to read uh, from verse 1 uh, through to verse 7. Isaiah chapter 49. And uh, if you're using the church Bible, it's page 735. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant. Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due to me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, And gather Israel to himself. For I am honoured in the eyes of the Lord. And my God has been my strength. He says it is too small a thing. For you to be my servant. To restore the tribes of Jacob. And bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. That you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel. Who has chosen you. And then if you turn to the New Testament please. To uh, the Gospel of Luke. Page 1028. In the Church Bible. Luke chapter 2. Luke uh, chapter 2. And we read from verse uh, 21. Page 1028. And here now we are reading in this section where it deals with the birth of Jesus. And on the eighth day when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, 
a pair of doves, or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the prince brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. We end our reading there at verse uh, 35. We'll turn back please to Isaiah chapter 49. And this evening uh, I want to speak for a short time on words from verse 6 where we are told I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. These words are spoken to the one who is the Lord's servant. Notice verse, beginning of verse 6. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant. Go back to verse 3. You are my servant. Verse 5. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant. The servant is going to be a light for the Gentiles. That he would bring the salvation of God to the ends of the earth. Before we come to think of our text, um, we need to note who the servant is. And in the book of Isaiah, this phrase, the servant, which uh, we find mostly in the second half of Isaiah, from chapter 40 to chapter 66, The section that is speaking about the restoration and the renewal of God's people and the Jews, that is, and then the gathering in of the nations. It is there in that section that we read primarily of this servant. So, who is the servant? Well, it's a bit like 
singing the Psalms. And uh, like peeling an onion, as I've said before, there are layers to this work. The servant, first of all, is Israel. Israel. The church, the Old Testament, that people that God had taken to himself in Egypt and right back to the time of Abraham, but then as a body had taken to himself in Egypt and brought out of Egypt through the shedding of blood and brought into the land of Canaan. That people were his, or was uh, his servant. But then there is another layer to this servant. And it is now Isaiah. Isaiah who is the prophet. And he is now um, ministering about 740, 730 and beyond uh, Uh, That was B.C., before Christ. In other words, 2,700 odd years ago. And Isaiah is God's servant. Because Isaiah too has been called. And he has been called uh, out of his sin. And he has been called into a relationship with God. Through the Christ who will come. And he is now speaking uh, to the church in the Old Testament. This entire book is directed to the church in his day. And the first 39 chapters speak about judgment that is going to come on Israel. Because the church is not living and worshipping the Lord and serving the Lord as she ought. She is following many other gods around about her. She is too much like the world around her. And when the church becomes like the world in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, or in the 21st century, in Israel, or in Rome, or in Northern Ireland, then the church will come under the judgment of God. So that she will be purified again, and become a holy people. And Isaiah, the servant, is bringing that message. So, the servant is Israel. The people, the church. The servant is Isaiah, the prophet. But then, ultimately, the servant is Christ. Is Christ, the Son of God. And so here in Isaiah chapter 49 we get these various layers. But we know from what we read in the New Testament uh, in Luke chapter 2 that uh, the New Testament writers Luke and the apostles uh, and those in the New Testament church they understood their six I will also make you a light For the Gentiles to be speaking of the Son of God. When he took human flesh and bone to himself. And lived the sinless life that you and I and uh, all men and women cannot live. And then when he died on the cross for the salvation. The forgiveness of sins of his people 
And so that's why tonight, as we look at this verse, I've given it the title, Jesus the Light, or Christ the Light. Uh, And if we went to the Gospel of Matthew, we would find the same thing being said from this passage in the Old Testament and other passages in Isaiah, that the, the, the servant uh, and the light is ultimately Christ. There are three things we want to note this evening then about Jesus Christ, the light. And this uh, sermon is not so much an exposition of um, Isaiah chapter 49 as a, a teasing out of this imagery of the light Christ as the light because that's an image or a picture that is used in scripture because it's uh, to help us to understand it's a picture that we understand we live in a world where in the world of nature there is light and there is darkness and so uh, when uh, the scriptures speak of Christ the light then it's something that we can relate to um, uh, in a very um, straightforward way. So there's three things we want to know tonight and they're printed, printed on the rear side of your order of service. First of all, Christ the light shines in the darkness. Christ the light shines in the darkness. Where do you find a light shining? When do you switch on the light? Uh, Did you go home this afternoon from church here at a quarter past one uh, and uh, have the sunshine coming in through your windows and switch on the electric light? No, you didn't. Because there was lots of light coming in from the sun. Uh, we switch on the light when it is dark. Now, if Christ is the light who shines, what does that tell us about human lives and human existence? What does it tell us about the world of humanity? Well, it tells us that they are darkness. Human lives in the sight of God, are darkness. Because where a light comes to shine, there has to be darkness. Otherwise, there's no point in having the light. If we had um, daylight, as we call it, 24-7, we would, uh, there'd be no darkness. And we would not need any form of artificial lighting. So, the fact that Christ is the light and shines means that he's shining on human lives that are in darkness. And that's implied here in verse 6. Not just, um, and notice how this darkness, it is found in Israel the Jewish people, and it's found in the Gentiles. It's found in all the nations. 
Verse 6 says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob. Why do they need to be restored? Because they're walking in darkness. And bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. Why is Christ a light to the Gentiles? Because they too are in darkness. Now that raises the question that we need to just think for a moment briefly. Uh, the question of what is darkness? What is meant by darkness? Well, darkness in Scripture symbolizes the presence of and the domination of sin. Light represents God and darkness is a symbol of sin and its presence and its domination. That's why at the cross, when Christ, the light of the world, was hanging on the cross, for three hours there was complete darkness because he was bearing the sin of his people. So humanity is in darkness because of the presence of sin. Here's how Paul puts it in Ephesians 5 verse 8. And he's speaking now to Christians, to those who have come to know Christ the light, but he says to them, you were once darkness. Darkness. Sin ruled over you. But now you are light. You see, to be a Christian is to be light. To not be a Christian is darkness. Paul puts it like this in Second uh, Corinthians 4 verse 6 when he writes, For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of himself. Our lives are darkened by sin, and God and Christ causes light to shine upon them. And in the same way as when the light, the sunlight shines in through your window these days and you ladies look around and say, oh dear, that dresser needs a bit of a dusting. Those windows need a bit of a clean. The light shows up the dirt. And so Christ the light uh, shines and he shows up the sin, the dirt that is there in our lives in the sight of God. Christians are those delivered from the power of darkness. Peter says, you are called out of darkness. Let's ask ourselves the question, right? The light, Christ, shines in the darkness of human hearts and brings people to himself dealing with their sin. Are you darkness tonight? Are you still living a life that is dominated by sin? Or are you now light? Because Christ has come and shone in your heart and shown you 
your sin and brought you to repent and believe. Let's notice then secondly how Christ the light draws from the darkness. Christ the light not only shines but he draws us out of the darkness. What happens when you switch on the light in um, in a room when it's dark outside and you leave the window open? What happens? Well, the flies come in and the moths and the insects. I can't remember where it was, but we had this experience in one of our moves somewhere. Uh, and uh, we came in the next morning and the place was just full of moths and those sort of insects that you find at night. I remember having to go round with a hoover and catch them all and suck them all uh, up. Why? Because insects are drawn to the light from the darkness. They're drawn to the light from the darkness. And we've all read or heard of people somehow being stranded in some circumstances in the darkness of the night. Not knowing which way to turn or which direction to go in. And then suddenly in the distance they see a faint light from a house. And they fix their eyes on that light and they walk steadily towards it. And you see that's what Christ does. He shines as the light and he causes us to fix our eyes upon him. And sometimes it's a growing and a steady fixing of our eyes upon him. And it's something that we, we, we see him and, and we begin to look to him and, and uh, seek him. And it's weeks and it's months before we actually come to stand in the presence of the fullness of the light. But he has been drawing, drawing over a period of time. Then for others, and uh, usually the distinction here is between someone coming from a Bible, a non-Bible background, uh, a non-Christian uh, uh, setting, and one coming from a Bible background. And the second contrast is the person who instantly and quickly, in the snapping of your fingers, comes to the light. And Saul is the great example of that. This man that was steeped in the Bible, the Old Testament, and knew so much about God. And what happened? Suddenly he was walking, or he was walking along the road to Damascus, and suddenly Christ the light shone around him and arrested him. And all that knowledge that this man had gathered from he was a little baby in his mother's arms. Now all came together and he realized Christ the light is drawing me. So Christ the light draws from the darkness. 
and that those dwelling in sin and darkness are to be saved, what is it that people most need? They need to be exposed to the light. They need to be exposed to the Christ, the light. They need to be shown him in his person and his work. And he will draw them to himself. Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, male and female, young and old, religious background, no religious background. Great Bible knowledge, no Bible knowledge. It's as people from whatever background are shown Christ the light that they're drawn from their darkness, from their sin. And that means a couple of practical things for those of us who are Christians here this evening. It means that the most necessary thing in our lives is that we are lights shining for Christ. That's the most powerful thing. The life you live, the way you speak, the way you do your work, the way you relate to other people. And if Christ is controlling your life, and Christ is shining from your life as the light, and shining through your life as the light, then you can be sure people will be drawn to him. And I believe that is why Christ said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 14, let your light, you're the light of the earth, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And then the other thing is that uh, in our answering people's questions, as somebody comes to us and says, I would like you, a non-Christian comes to you and says, I would like you to study the Bible with me. What are you to do? Where are you to go? You're to bring them to Christ in the Scriptures. Whatever place, whatever part of the Scriptures you choose to study, make sure, or whatever part of the Scriptures they ask you, to study with them. Make sure that you are bringing them to Christ, the light. Because he draws people from the darkness of their sins. But then let's thirdly, see thirdly this evening. And finally, Christ, the light, dispels or scatters or banishes the darkness. Why do you switch on a light to penetrate to banish the darkness and so Christ the light penetrates uh, and banishes the darkness and the light always does that the light always does that the light is working it will banish the darkness. And why does Christ, the light, shine on people's lives? 
And what is it that Christ wants to accomplish in your life and my life as those whom he's drawn from the darkness of our sins to himself. He wants to banish the remaining sin, what we might call the remaining darkness. Our church confession of faith, written um, over 400 years ago, or almost 400 years ago, talks continually about remaining sin, remaining sin, remaining darkness that is in all of us. And you see, the purpose of Christ the light, the purpose of reading the scriptures day by day, the purpose of coming together and worship, is that as believers, the light will shine more and more on our lives. So that the darkness is extinguished from our lives. Because where light shines, it dispels darkness. That's why Paul asked in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4, what does light have in common with darkness? They can't exist side by side. They're very different. And in you and me who profess Christ, light and darkness are a contradiction. And the light has got to prevail. And so that's why the Apostle Paul, writing to the Ephesians, what does he say? Walk as children of light. Ephesians 5 verse 8. John chapter 12 verse 46. Whoever believes in me shall not abide in darkness. Romans 13 verse 12. Let us cast aside the works of darkness. 1 John 1 verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, what do we do? We lie. We say I belong to Christ. And his light has shone on my life. And he has drawn me out of my sin in repentance and in faith. I cannot walk in darkness without lying. And if you want a, a list of what those what it is to what those works of darkness are, then Paul gives it in Ephesians chapter five. He talks about covetousness. He talks about um, sexual immorality. By that he means a sexual relationship outside of marriage. He talks about lying, and he says those are the things that are the works of darkness. And so Christ the light, what does he do? He banishes the darkness and the light shines ever more brightly upon our lives. And if you're not a Christian here tonight, we urge you to consider Christ the light and to fix your eyes upon him and to allow him to draw you to himself in repentance and in faith. And then to allow him with all of us who profess Christ to banish more and more the darkness.
the sin that remains, so that your lights shining for him, as Paul said, in a dark world. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you tonight that you are the God who is light. You created light in the beginning when you made this world and you separated the light from the darkness, the day from the night. And we know that the two cannot live side, uh, live together. They must be separated. And O oh God, we learn from this picture of how spiritually we are those who by nature are in darkness and we need the light of the gospel. We need Jesus, the light, to shine upon our lives. And we thank you that for many of us he has done that. And for many of us he has drawn us to himself as the light. And we have found in him a perfect life. We found in him a death for the sins of others, for our sins. And we have been forgiven our sins in him. We pray, Lord God, that you would help us to dwell in the light, to dwell in Christ's presence day by day, so that the sin and the darkness that remains will increasingly be banished from our lives. We pray, O Lord, that we would let our light shine before men, that they would see our lives, that they would be drawn to Christ the light through us. We pray for any this evening who do not believe who are in our service. We pray that they might be drawn by your Holy Spirit to Christ the light. We pray, Lord God, for those in our families who do not yet believe, those in our workplaces, those that we associate with from day to day, may you in your grace, Lord Jesus, shine upon their lives. May you draw them to yourself. May you banish the darkness that is sin. In Jesus' name, Amen. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.